welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Okay, we're going to clear the air and everyone be honest to start with this morning. How many thought you were come to the 830 worship service? People uh, had said they forgot about setting their clocks uh, because of it moving ahead. I hope all of you are feeling uh, better. I know we've had a lot of people sick with the flu and uh, strep. I had that myself. I'm feeling better. I got a little bit of hoarseness, uh, a little bit of a cough, but I'm... Uh, I think I'm thinking okay this week. Last week I was taking cough syrup that had hydrocodone in it, and I almost stopped during the message and said, "You guys go home and finish reading the scripture and uh, and everything." So I think I'm I think I'm good. I think maybe I can think uh, today. Uh, we're doing a series uh, that's entitled "Vision Equals Mission." And we had talked about doing this for, for a while. I just see my God kept inserting maybe another series in my mind to do. Uh, and so may, hopefully it's God's timing uh, that we're doing it at, at this point uh, in time. What led to this uh, is that our church leadership team uh, had been working on a thing called a transformational church survey. The Baptist State Convention offered a, a survey where you could sign up online. And uh, it was kind of a perspective-based survey to where you're giving us your perspective on uh, different areas of our church ministry. And we uh, also went through a, a vision and a mission workshop to try and uh, make things more concise. Uh, one of the things that we saw, as I mentioned last week, uh, in the survey was that about 39% of the people who took the survey uh, said that they felt like the congregation, in other words, everyone I knew the mission and the vision of, of the church. Now, like I said, that's perspective-based because from my perspective, uh, every time someone goes through the membership class, we were teaching them the, the vision and the mission of the church that we had at that point in time. Uh, it was maybe a little bit more wordy than it needed to be, and that's why we've tried to make them more concise where it'd be simple for you to remember and understand and uh, hopefully apply it not just to the life of our church, but to your life and understand that these are things that God wants you to be about in your own personal life uh, also. Uh, But we realized we probably needed to do things to throw the new vision and mission out before you consistently to where you can see it all the time. Uh, So that's why we put the signs up. Uh, here in the worship center, and then we'll be putting it in the updates and uh, reminding you of the messages and things like that. The, the vision that we feel like God led us to is this, that we're to be the body of Christ, we're to build believers, and we're to change the world. The mission, and, and basically the mission is how we do this, the, the mission that uh, we are setting forth is that we're to be connected with God, connecting with others, and connecting others with God. So what I'm doing in this series is taking one phrase from the vision statement and one phrase from the mission statement and trying to to marry those things together and help you understand how they fit and uh, and, and how they work together. Uh, You you might say uh, uh, this, you you might say that that vision for a church, to to boil it down make it simple, vision for a church is simply us seeing what God wants us to be, who God wants us to be. Uh, that ought to be what vision for a church is. It's not like some organization that's coming up with some little cool saying, but vision for a church needs to be biblical. It needs to be simple so we can remember it, 
But it needs to be based in the Bible. So vision is, is us seeing who God wants us to be. Mission is us doing what God wants us to do. It's just a real simple way of looking at it. And that's why we're doing this series, to focus on, on God's purpose and God's plan uh, for what we feel like Day 3 Church needs to be about. Now, I'm going to read this verse each week as a send-off verse, kind of, because somebody might think, well, why do we need to have a vision and a mission to start with? And I think Paul answered that for us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, in verse 10 and 11. And he said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So if we're going to be united in the same mind and the same judgment, one way to help guard that or to help facilitate that is for us to all understand this is our vision and for us to understand this is our mission. And that can help give us basically the, the same mind. That doesn't mean, I want to give you a little bit of a qualifying statement, that doesn't mean that in every small thing, every believer will always agree about everything. Uh, Paul also wrote about that. He more or less told us in Romans 14 that we need to have some liberty in non-essentials, but in the essential stuff of the gospel, you have to have unity. So there are things that we must believe that we all should believe together, and there's some things that maybe there's a little bit of question marks on that no one knows absolutely for sure, but in the essentials of the gospel, uh, in the essentials of doctrine, we need to believe the same thing. So that's why it's important for us to have the, the same mind and to have the same, uh, same thoughts and to be uh, thinking about the same vision and to be thinking about the, uh, the mission. I'm going to try in this series, as I did last week, to unpack some things uh, from the transformational survey that a lot of you participated in. Last week, we started out the series by talking about be the body of Christ and connecting with God. And I hope you understood by the end of that message, because I was wondering, because of the call syrup I was on, uh, if I communicated very clearly, but I hope you understood how logical that should be. If we're going to be the body of Christ, and the Bible clearly uses the body as an illustration, and all of us make up individual parts of the body, just like our human body uh, is unified and coordinated, in the same way the church ought to be unified, all of us making up parts, all of us fulfilling our role and our function in unity together. Well, if we're going to be the body of Christ, to help us really understand what that means, we better be connecting with God, because you see, it's His body. And he's the head, and he ought to be communicating to the body how he wants us to operate. So hopefully you, you got that last week. Today what we're going to talk about is this. We're going to talk about building believers. We believe that's our vision, to build believers. God gives us, you'll see in a minute in the Bible, clearly, that we ought to have the vision to build believers. And connecting with others. And, and I would tell you, I think those two things are indispensable together. Also, kind of like last week. When I said, be the body of Christ, and in order to help us understand what that means, we need to be connected with God. Well, think about it in these terms. If you're going to build believers, it's going to be indispensable that you connect with other people. You understand that? You can't build someone if you're not connecting with them. They can't help build you if you're not connecting with them, if you're not spending some time together with them. So with that in mind, I want us to, uh, to look at our, our vision and, and, and our mission today. The vision is this, build believers. Build believers. Build believers. Um, need to be at the first point uh, in the message. I'm sorry, guys. We're out of sync somewhere. Okay. Uh, vision. Build, build believers uh, in the building plans of God. Now, before I read the passage of Scripture, 
And there's several passages of Scripture you could look at and say, okay, that's kind of what God is telling us to do. That's like our building plans. Uh, I want to give you an illustration that we're going to kind of have as a running illustration through this part of the message. Build is an action word. In, in other words, it's, it's not like building. Building could be like a structure, and it can also be an action word. But the word build is an action word. It, it's not just something you talk about. It's something you have to be involved with. It's something you have to actually do. If you decide you're going to build a house, you can have the greatest looking plans in the world. You know, these intricate plans that, that you can look at and see on paper and, and see, man, what a great house this ought to be if we build it. And you can have someone to draw it out for you and, and, uh, and, and have the ground prepared, chosen, ready to build it. But you can have all those plans laid. And unless you actually build the house, those plans don't benefit anybody. You recognize that. There's not going to be a family that's going to be able to live in that home and develop memories in that home if all you have uh, are the plans and you don't do anything to build the structure. In the same way, thinking about the church being the body of Christ, if we're going to build believers, that's something that we have to do. We have the best plans in the world for building believers because it's God's plans. We have the greatest architect of all time to help us build the church, to help us build believers, because God is the architect. God is the one that has laid out the plans. Our, our struggle is coming down to the point that we actually act upon it. So let's look at some building plans. And what I want to use uh, for our building plans today is, is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 <coughs> through 16. The Bible says, and he gave, talking about Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, of course, we've already established that's Jesus, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're going to have an illustration of, of, of building a house going along with building uh, people or building the church, building believers. Uh, let's talk about the builders to begin with. Just like when you build a house, there are builders involved, people who help uh, carry out the various aspects of constructing that home. Uh, God has builders that he has given as gifts to the church. Uh, it is said there that he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, some translations say pastor teachers, uh, to equip the saints of the work of the ministry. So let's look at these builders that God has given to help build believers and help us build the church. He referred to the apostles. And that word literally means a delegate or an ambassador of the gospel, officially commissioned by Christ, set apart by Jesus and sent out. Now, while all of us are still yet to be ambassadors, when you talk about technically what the word apostle means, none of us qualify as apostles. Because in order to be an apostle in the most technical version of it, it had to be someone that had seen with their own eyes the living Lord. 
They had seen Jesus on the other side of the crucifixion. They had seen Jesus on the other side of the resurrection. And he had consecrated them and he had sent them out. That's one reason it bothers me a little bit sometimes when I see in some denominations or some churches when someone starts calling themselves an apostle. Now, I understand they can be an ambassador of Christ. We're all supposed to be. But no one alive today can fill the role of the official apostle role. There's no such thing as that uh, today. Uh, And they said also the prophets. And we think of the prophets, we think of, of course, the Old Testament prophets. And that word alludes to that, but it means more than that. It means someone that's proclaiming uh, the truth, an inspired speaker. They were to exhort, encourage, and strengthen God's people. It said he also gave these builders to the church, uh, the evangelists. And uh, while all of us are to do the work of an evangelist, the Bible tells us uh, pastors are also to do the work of an evangelist. In the way that Paul uses this terminology, it, it actually is probably referring to someone like the Apostle Paul himself, who was traveling primarily targeting non-believers, trying to share the gospel with non-believers from city to city. So God gave that as a gift. The next builder that's mentioned there is pastors. And the word means a shepherd pastor. So while all the other gifts that are mentioned there, along with pastors, are kind of gifts in general to the church, when he refers to pastor, he's talking about a special local pastor in a local congregation, and he's given the responsibility to shepherd, to teach, to love, to care for, to counsel, to instruct uh, those people in that local congregation. And then he used the word teacher, an instructor, a teacher of the act of teaching. And like I said, some translations put those two terms together as though it is pastor teachers. Now, I want you to notice what these builders are supposed to do. Because I'm not through telling you who the builders are yet. That's part of the builders. But all those gifts God has given to the church to equip. And that means to complete, to furnish, to complete thoroughly. It's interesting. It also means to repair or adjust or to set right as in set in a broken bone or to complete by training or restoring. So God has given all those gifts we looked at a moment ago to the church for the purpose of equipping. And then here's the rest of the builders. I told you I'm not through talking about the builders yet. Yes, all those other titles were builders, but he gave those to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints to the work of the ministry. Now, that word saint, because we've been too conditioned by Catholicism and things like that, when you think of saint, you think of saint so-and-so. And many of us don't feel like saints. But in the New Testament use of this word saint, what it is referring to is those of us who know Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, whether you feel like it or not, as far as God's concerned, you're a saint. You're someone that has been set apart. You've been made sacred or consecrated to Him. We're part of the body of Christ. We're to be prepared, equipped, as it said a moment ago, to do the job, to do the work of of the ministry for the work of the ministry. And that means indicating the point reach. The whole reason we're to be built up is to get to the point that we arrive at the point that we're doing the work, the labor, the toil, the occupation of the ministry. And, And the word ministry, sometimes we always elevate that, maybe in our minds, but the word ministry literally means to attend as a servant. Jesus came as a servant. If you're going to be involved in the ministry, that doesn't mean you have some big title that you just walk around and talk about your title. Being involved and called to the ministry means God has called you to be a servant. You're supposed to serve other people and minister to other people. Our our vision, once again, is to, to build believers. We're talking about the builders. The builders were all those official titles that we talked about earlier, but they were given in order that all the saints might be equipped to do the work of the ministry. 
In other words, all of us are the builders. All of us are supposed to use our gifts and abilities to help build believers and to help build the church. Some churches uh, are in error because they approach it like this. They've got a mindset that they, <clears throat> that they call professional clergy. And they pay them to do the work of the ministry. Now, there's a problem with that, and here's the problem. The main problem is not that those people who are professional clergy can't do all the work because they don't even have all the gifts. Here's the main problem. The main problem is if they even try to do all the work, they're robbing you of the blessing that God wants you to have because God wants to use you in his ministry. He wants to use you to build believers. He wants to use you to build the church. You're robbing God of using your life if you think, well, we just will pay for people and we'll let those people, those professional ministers do all the work. The problem with that is that's not the New Testament model. The New Testament model is those professional people are equipping you and setting the example for you. And then together with you, all of us are to be building believers together. We're to be building the church together. The pastor teachers are to help equip believers to do the work of the ministry. In unity, we're to be building the church up together. So that's, that's the builders that we have. He's given those builders to help build the church. In the Transformational Church Survey, there was a uh, statement in it that said this. It said that we, and this isn't a question we made up, it's all prefab stuff in, in the survey that you took last year. It said, we diminish the distinction between clergy and laity and encourage everyone to minister. Now, 62% of you agreed with that perspective. You said that you agree that that is what we try to do, that we try and, uh, you know, we try and keep from having a separation between the clergy and the laity and, and that we're all supposed to minister. We're, everyone's supposed to minister. Now, while 62% in terms of the way this survey works out in most churches is not a bad number for 62% of you to understand that you're supposed to minister too, and it's not just a thing of the clergy doing it, that we're all supposed to minister together. But to clarify it, I want to ask you a question, and before you answer, I want you to think about it. To clarify it, you see, I think it, it needs to be a higher percentage. Everybody needs to understand this. Let me ask you a question. Who's your minister? Before you point at me, <laughs> or Daryl, or someone else, you need to think about everything we just talked about. Because everything we just talked about more or less said this. We are all called to be ministers. We're all supposed to be equipped to help build believers. We're all supposed to be equipped to help build the body of Christ. So in other words, you need to ask yourself some other questions. Number one, what is my ministry? Number two, after you decide what your ministry is, how can you be better equipped to carry out your ministry? If you feel like God is calling you to do something, by, by that I'm saying this. If you feel like God is calling you to do something, but you feel like you're ill-equipped to do it, come talk to us about it. And we'll do anything we can to try and help you be more equipped for whatever you feel like God is calling you to do. You need to be asking yourself questions like, what can I do to build the body of Christ? Because all of us are supposed to be the, the builders. Second thing as we continue this illustration about building is to talk about the building itself. Because the building itself is not some country club we're building for ourselves. It's not some organization or anything that, that we're just building. 
It's not even about just building day three church. He, he said that we're to equip the saints to the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. That word building up is, is even a term used in architecture. But here he's meaning to edify. All of us are supposed to help edify the body of Christ. Interesting phrase here also in the Greek that he used for body of Christ because the word means the body as a sound whole. In other words, all of us are supposed to be building the body of Christ to the point that it functions fully like it should as a body of Christ, to where it is a sound whole body, to where all the parts are functioning and working together. So that's the building. That's what we're supposed to be about building. Not just day three church. We're building the body of Christ. You're not building anything for me. I'm not building anything for you. We're not trying to build a little social network or country club of our own that we call a church. We're to be building the body of Christ. That's what the church is. The church isn't a building either. That's a misperspective that people have. Well, let's go over to the church. No, you're going to a building where the church meets. You're the body of Christ. See, if if we were about trying to reach people just by building a building, then we've already missed it because the only thing we've done is take a strip mall that used to be here. And it's not the most perfect thing because you've got poles in your way in some places and everything like that. And we've got a low ceiling where sometimes our music is hard to manage. And also, if it was about attracting people just by a building, then we would have built something instead of trying to buy this and use it a different way. So hopefully no one comes here because of the building. Hopefully you come here because of the body of Christ. Because that's really what the church is all about. We've seen the builders as we develop this illustration. We've seen the building, but there's also some plans that need to be carried out. If you're going to build a structure, a home, then you've got blueprints that you go by in order to build it. In a similar way, I think there's some blueprints, some plans here that God gives us in, in the next few verses. All of those groups together are supposed to be equipping the saints to the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until. The word until implies there's a process, something we have to do. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may be no longer children. There's at least three aspects or three parts of a blueprint I want you to see in those verses. The first one is this, unity of the faith. We're to be building believers. We're to be building the body in order that we might have a unity of the faith. And instead of putting individual worst days up, I just kind of threw some phrases up. That that means until we reach the point, until we attain, until we reach the point, we arrive at, and here's what unity of the faith literally means. The oneness of the faith. Instead of us arguing and debating, Like I said earlier, not in the small incremental things, we might not always agree. But instead of us arguing and debating, a church ought to have a oneness of faith concerning the major articles of the faith, concerning the major doctrines of the gospel. In other words, there's things that are non-debatable. The virgin birth of Jesus, I will die for the virgin birth of Jesus. Because if you don't have a virgin-born Savior, you don't have a Savior. And if you want to throw away the deity of Christ, we might as well shut the doors and go home and not do anything. You know, I, I, will, I will die, I will bleed over being saved by faith through grace. And it's not of works because Jesus accomplished everything on the cross. I will bleed and die over that. There, there's things that's worth fighting over. 
And that's why instead of fighting over it, we need to train people, we need to build believers to where they have the unity of the faith. There's a second part of a blueprint here that we can see, and that's the knowledge of Christ. Until we come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Once again, the Greek phrase is there, recognition, full discernment, acknowledgement of Christ. And he's more or less talking about experiential knowledge of Christ. See, you, you and I need to believe the same things about Jesus. We need to experience Jesus. We, we need to have that as part of our DNA. That needs to be part of our building plan. As we build believers, they have to have the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge about Christ, to know who he is and experience him if we're going to build believers the way they should be built. Third part of the blueprints or the building plans is this, spiritual maturity. See, here's the goal, anyway, of the building. He said to mature manhood, <coughs> to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. And once again, just kind of I threw all the Greek words together, just in phrases, to the point reached for becoming complete, perfect, mature believers. To the point reached of the measure or the metered portion or the maturity or the stature, the fullness or completion of Christ. In other words, just to, to abbreviate all that down, here's the goal. The goal of building believers is this, to where we become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. The plan is to become like Jesus. That's why we're building believers. That's the goal, that you'll become more like Jesus, that I'll become more like Jesus. And we work together. We encourage each other. We exhort each other. We build each other up within the church to where our goal is becoming mature, becoming more like Jesus, because that's what the building is about, for us to become more and more like him. There's also a shelter as we think about this building illustration that I want you to see. See, when you build a house, one of the reasons for building the house is to have a shelter to where there's kind of a, a place of safety that you feel like you have. You can come in if you're out in the yard and a storm blows up. You can come in uh, out of the storm and, and stay inside the, the shelter. At night, you feel like you have a, a, a place of security, you know, kind of when you're inside your home because you have a, a, a place of, of shelter. Uh, last, last night I was taking our dogs out late and we've got an automatic, uh, light that only comes on if something has tripped it and made it to come on. So as I, uh, step outside, uh, and everything to take the dogs out, I notice the light is already on and my little dog is barking. My big one just acts like it don't need to bark, but my little one, uh, was barking like there was something there or whatever. So, uh, uh, I come back in to my place of security and then I go to my other place of security and I grab a 45 and a flashlight and I step outside trying to see what turn my light on and, uh, and, and, and everything. Uh, but, but one reason we have a home is, is for a shelter. And we, and we need to think about the church in that term also. One reason we need to be building the church and be building believers in the right way is because people need a shelter. There, there are all kinds of winds of doctrine. It says tossed to and fro by ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, the world in which we live in, there's a lot of false doctrine out there. there, there there's a lot of people out there that are intentionally trying to mislead people. Regrettably, most of the time, it's in order to get your money. 
uh, so you'll mail it to them or something. But there's all kinds of false doctrines that's being taught and cults that's being taught. And one reason that we ought to try and build believers, they need to know what they believe. They need to know why they believe what they believe. So they'll not be affected by these winds when the winds of false doctrine blow against them. We're building a shelter for people, a doctrinal shelter to where they can stand. We're also trying to build a place to where they, they can feel safe and secure with us. Man, the world is bad enough out there. The world beats people up enough that the tragedy is many times people come in from being beat up all week by the world and they come into the church to be beat up. And that's one reason we have such a struggle in this day and time to reach people because too many times it's uh, doesn't have any cost to repent, does it? Okay. <clears throat> Because too many times people will come in and they just get beat up worse here in, in the church. We, we need to be a shelter for people to where they can come in and, and there's a safe place for them when they come. And, and it's a place where they can be restored. That's why we're trying to do some things like celebrate recovery on Wednesday night because there are people who are being afflicted by addictions and things like that. And the church ought to be the one that's in line to try and help people like that. It's not the government's job, it's the church's job. If the church would be the shelter that we ought to be for people in this world, you wouldn't even have a reason for social services even to exist anywhere on the face of the planet if the church would come up and be the shelter that we're supposed to be. That's why we need to be building believers because we need to provide a shelter for people that are being bombarded by the doctrinal storms and things of, of this world. Last thing about this building, I want you to see is the results. The results. If you're building a house, there comes a point in time after the architect has put the drawings together and the ground's been prepared and the builders come in and they build a structure, there comes a point in time that you kind of stand back and you, and you think, well, it's, it's finished. And, and you go in and you see the results of what's been built into the living room and the results of what's been built into the kitchen and the results of what's been built into the, into the bathrooms and the bedrooms and the game rooms and whatever else you might put in it. But you, you, you finally stand back and you see the results. Well, see, if we're building believers right, there's some results that we ought to see. It says in verse 15 and 16, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's the kind of stuff we talked about last week where the body of Christ connected together. By which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, in those verses, I want you to see some results that ought to take place from us building believers, from us working together, all of us working together to build the body of Christ. One result is this. We can see the results of truth based in love. Not just results of truth and not just results of love, but the results of truth based in love. This isn't original with me, and it's been said many times by many different people, but it's, well, it's been well said that truth without love is brutality. In other words, we, we can take the truth and we can spew it at people and we can bang them on the head with it and do it out of the wrong motive, and we're just mistreating people. We're abusing people is what we're doing. But it says, but love without truth is hypocrisy. Because if you're just loving somebody, you're not telling them the truth, you're not teaching them the things they need to be taught. John R.W. Stott said this, 
Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to hold the two up together. We have to hold truth up, but we have to hold it forward with a motive of of love. So one of the results of us building believers, if we're building believers and building the church in the right way, we ought to be able to stand back and look at the building and say, look at the truth and love and what it's doing in that congregation. Another result that we ought to be able to stand back and see is this. We can see the results of people growing up in every way into Jesus. Once again, that's the main goal. That's why we're even building believers to start with. We're trying to become more like Jesus. And if we're building believers as we should, we can stand back and see that start to happen in the lives of people where they become more like Jesus. We can see the results of the body of Christ working together as we should, like the body we talked about last week. A body joined together at every joint and each part equipping the other part of the body. That's the result we ought to see if we're building each other up as we should build each other up. Another result we ought to see is this. We can see the result of each part of the body, each member of the body of Christ working properly, growing and building itself up in love. That ought to be a result that we see that, that man, we're growing, but we're, you know, we're, we're growing doctrinally, we're growing spiritually, we're becoming more like Jesus, but we're also, we're also seeing love grow between people. And if we build believers in the right way, you see, that's not my vision, that's not our leadership team's vision, that's God's vision. God tells us, that you just saw it in the scriptures we've looked at, God tells us to build believers, and if it's his vision, it has to be our vision because we're, we're a church. We're not just some other kind of organization. We're a church, and we need to be concerned about building other people up in love. Now, that's the vision. The mission is this. The mission is connecting with others. Like I said, to start with, if you're going to do this, you have to do this. If you're going to build believers, you have to be connecting with others. Connecting with others includes church membership, but it's more than that. It, it, is, it includes the believers making up the body of Christ, as we saw last week, doing everything we ought to do in unity and functioning as a body. But connecting with others also primarily means fellowship, as we can see in the, in the early church. God has building plans, but God has relational plans for the church. Look at what we find in the early church. Because what we find in the early church ought to still be active in the church of today. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. To the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I want you to, I'm going to back up and walk through what I just read. Because I want you to see the fellowship that existed there. And how that ought to be a model for us still yet in the church today. 
It said they were devoted to the scriptures. They were devoted to teaching. And we better be devoted to the scriptures and devoted to teaching. And that means more than you putting it under your arm and coming to church on Sunday. We need to be devoted to the scriptures if we're going to be building each other up. As we should, as we connect together in, in, in fellowship. They were devoted to each other in fellowship. And real Christian fellowship involves fellowshipping around the things of Jesus. I, I had a, a, a church leader at another church one time kind of chasing me a little bit after I'd been there for a little while. And he came up and he said he'd had somebody complain because uh, I would be over here talking to someone that I knew uh, had similar hobbies that I enjoyed uh, or someone over here that, that, that maybe I had something in, in common with. And I understood what he was trying to say, but I looked at him and I said this. He, I said, the problem with that is this. Fellowship at church, fellowship among Christians don't have anything to do with my hobbies. It's fellowship around Jesus. See, that's what real Christian fellowship is. It's us fellowshipping around Jesus and his cross and the things of, of God. That's, that's where our, our fellowship ought to be. Fellowship can happen to a certain degree on Sunday morning, but not to the degree that it needs to. So some of you have already come in. Uh, I, I don't think I really need this, but so he won't be mad that he went and got it for me. I'm going to take a drink of it. But some of you this morning, you had a degree of fellowship. You shook hands with some people. You spoke to some people. You, you, you kind of, you know, I mean, we'll see each other and, and make fun. Bill Compton's coming in. He's doing like this. And I'm thinking, is he thinking I'm still sick or something? And he's, he, he walks over to me and he, and he said, did you bring sunglasses for everybody? I said, no, why? What are you talking about? He said, well, you wore that shirt. So we had fellowship just kind of kidding with each other. Some of you have hugged each other, you know, and, and things like that. And you can have a degree of fellowship here. I'm not saying you can't have it here, but you, but I will say this, you cannot have it here to the degree that you need to have it in your life. And that's why I talked some about small groups last week. And I'm going to talk about it more here in, in the, in the last little part of this message. But in order for, for you to fellowship to the degree you need to, we need to model what we see here in the early church. He said they were doing, they were doing life together. Did you notice that? Yes, they went to church together, but they were hanging out in their homes together. That they were breaking bread together in their homes. They were praying together. We need to pray together about issues and that's why we need to connect with each other so we can share those prayer requests and support each other in prayer they were meeting each other's needs they were selling what they owned and doing what they could to be generous to others and, and meet their needs they were having generous hearts as they shared their food together they were praising god together but the main thing i want you to see is this i want you to see the result of that the result of this amazing atmosphere that existed between this body of believers that was building each other up. This body of believers in the early church that was connecting together. Here's the amazing results of it. The results of this relational atmosphere of connecting with each other was this. Having favor with all the people and God adding to the church many who were being saved day by day. See, here's why we need to have the right fellowship. Here's why we need to build believers. Here's why we need to have fellowship with each other and connecting together. Because there's a sad world out there that's skeptical of us anyway. Because if they listen to the news media and the things that are said in this day and time, they think we're just a bunch of hateful bigots is the idea that they have of Christianity. 
I mean, my goodness, we live in a world where they're beheading Christians. We can't even get our own government to say that it's genocide. There's already been 1.8 million Christians slaughtered across the world in the last few years. That's the atmosphere that we live in. But you see, part of it might be our fault. Because maybe we're falling short of building each other up and connecting together to where we have this authenticity. To where we have the, the reality of the gospel lived out in our lives in a community. To where it causes people out there to, to have favor when they think of us. To where it gives us favor and influence and impact into their lives. Because they can look at the church and say they're real. They love people. They believe the truth, but they love people and they love each other. And, they're in, and they enjoy hanging out together because there are people out there in the world that desperately need that. But they fail to see it modeled by us. If we would build each other up as we should and connect with each other as we should, we can start to have favor with a lost world. And by doing that, God will start adding to our number day by day those that were being saved. That's the model that we need to, to have for the church. Now, the Transformational Church Survey. I'm going to close by, by meddling just a little bit <laughs> and, uh, and talking about some, some things from it. In the Transformation of Church Survey, I shared some of this out of community last week. 77.2% said that small groups are very important to the life of our church. Now, that's good. That's a higher percentage than they normally run into, people having that perspective. But you see, I'm not satisfied with that. <laughs> I want 100% of anyone that comes to Day 3 Church to understand that small groups is vital to the ministry of our church. Because we need to be starting more and more small groups. 62% said they, that we expect our key volunteer leaders to relationally connect with others in a small group. Now, 62% is not necessarily that bad, but once again, I'm not satisfied with that. I want you to hear from me. We expect every one of our key leaders to be involved in connecting with other people in a small group. Does that mean that's happening right now? I'm not saying it's necessarily happening right now, but I am telling you that's an expectation. And I'm telling you, if you're a key leader and you're not involved in a small group, shame on you. Because you need to be involved in a small group. 69.6% said there's a clear method for people to follow to get plugged into a small group. In other words, we announce it when we start a semester. You can go out to the table, sign up, and, and things like that. But we want everyone to understand there's a clear method on how to become part of a small group. 72.8%, and I, and I shared this last week, and, 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 I, and this is something to celebrate. 72.8% said they are cared for well when they're plugged into a small group. That's great. But we want everyone to be plugged into a small group so everyone can be cared for. 77.2% said this. They said that day three starts new small groups on a regular basis. <clears throat> I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. I told you that this was perception-based. That stat shows you how perceptions can be wrong. Every time we get ready to start small groups up, yeah, it's a new semester and we are starting up small groups. But where 77% said we start new small groups on a regular basis, that's not the truth. Because typically what happens semester in and semester out is that we have the same leaders agreeing to lead groups in the same locations in the same homes and primarily the same people deciding to, to sign up and go to that small group. And you see, that's a problem. 
Because that's not developing a new group. That's not starting a, a, a small group like it, it should be. Dwayne Kirkendall, who came in and spoke to us about the transformational survey, he's the director of missions in Catawba County, and he also was the one that met with us in our leadership team about our vision and uh, in, in mission workshops. He wrote a community summary statement after we had had a meeting with some of our key leaders and things to come in, and they wrote comments down. Here's a summary statement that he wrote about community. The survey results and comments about them concerning community and the church predominantly show us that existing groups are making significant spiritual impact in the lives of the participants and meeting their personal needs. Now, that's great. We ought to celebrate that. But he goes on. And he says, however, these groups also seem content to continue as they are and seem unwilling to move beyond getting their own needs met and impacting others by group multiplication. You understand what he's saying? He's saying we're content just to keep hanging out in the same small group of the same people that come each and every semester instead of us launching out and multiplying ourselves by having more small groups. And then he said this, uh, the unwillingness is what it should say, to break up what they have is effectively pushing out others who could benefit from the same experience. See, if we've got a small group and all the seats are filled, there's no room for someone else to come into that small group. That's why we need to be starting new small groups all the time. That's, that's why if we're going to be connecting with the number of people we need to and building the lives of other people, we need to understand that small groups need to start new small groups. Every small group needs to do this. And if you're part of a small group uh, or if you're the leader of a small group, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I want to start holding you more accountable. I've already told you about this in the past. And, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm fussing, although I am fussing just a little bit, I guess, because I need to because of what the transformational results showed us in that in that survey if your small group doesn't make plans to start a new small group then you need whether you're the leader or not if you're a member of that small group you need to bring it up in making a point in that small group that you need to pray about finding someone else to be an apprentice in that small group some of be trained to lead a small group and by the next semester you send out with that person and his wife or that person and their husband whatever the case is or you send that person out to start a small group and you send three or four couples with them and that makes room in your group and that starts a brand new small group in a brand new location maybe on a brand new night that can minister to other people because we will not reach the potential of small groups be in the heartbeat of day three church like they should be until we start doing that. Every small group needs to have a plan and they need to have a date when they're going to launch a small group. Because you see, the full reason of small groups is not just you having fun. It's not just you hanging out with people that you enjoy. It's not just being comfortable with other people. It's more than that. The reason for small groups is to build believers who will in turn build believers through new small groups. There ought to be a multiplying effect that takes place. Yes, our small groups need to grow larger, and they need to grow more mature spiritually, but then they ought to start starting new small groups that can impact more people. Some of our small groups are not small groups anymore. We've got a couple of small groups that meet here, uh, and really more than a couple now, 
that, that meet here that aren't really a small group. If you get beyond about 12 to 15 people, you're not a small group anymore. So especially you larger groups that meet here, I'm kind of challenging you. It's, it's time for you to understand that building believers and connecting with others is not just about you. It's about us being more effective. It's about us having more and more opportunities to try and reach other people. You see, I, I, I've talked to small group leaders before, and they've said, well, we've tried to ask people to be leaders and go out and start a small group, and we've asked to no avail, okay? So listen closely because you need to hear this. Ministry is not about you. Let that sink in for a minute. That includes our small groups. You being part of a small group, you being comfortable there, it's, it's not all about you. Ministry is not about you being comfortable. Ministry is about others. And, and to give you something to really plug into your mind and into your heart, ministry is about remembering it wasn't comfortable or easy for Jesus to do what he did for you. That he can have fellowship with you. You need to remember it wasn't easy or comfortable for Jesus to die for you on the cross. And then you need to be willing to push beyond your comfortability level yourself. Remembering what Jesus did for you. And you get involved in trying to help launch small groups to reach other people. So we can build others up and connect with others as we should. Romans chapter 15 verse 2 and 3. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, that's Christ saying to the Father, the reproaches God, the reproach of Father, those that sinned against you, those reproaches, those sins fell on me. Paul also writes this in 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, the ultimate goal is adding other people to the kingdom of God. That's the ultimate goal. That's why we need to be building believers. That's why we need to be connecting to others because Christians can't afford to be self-centered. We cannot afford to make it about us. We have to be concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. Jesus did not please himself is what that passage in Romans told us. Jesus, who was the strongest person that ever lived because he was a God-man, God in the flesh. And yet Jesus did not please himself. Instead, he didn't make it about pleasing himself. Can you think that going to the cross and suffering the way Jesus did, you think that was Jesus doing that about pleasing himself? He did that about the Father's will. He did that about you and for you because he loved you and he wants to reach you. And we need to remember that ourselves. Our mission needs to be to please God, not to please ourselves. Our mission needs to be to please God and to reach others with his gospel. So once again, I want to make it clear. If small groups are going to be the heartbeat of this church, and you see this, small groups can help our church grow. Sometimes you can get someone to come to your home to sit down and have a meal with you, hang out with you, and have a little Bible study easier than you can get them to come to church. And if you're starting new small groups, if we're starting new small groups with extra room in them, it's not about just inviting the people that are here either. 
You ought to be inviting your co-workers to come to your small group. You ought to be inviting your friends or your neighbors to come to your small group. And the more small groups we launch, the more locations we have, and the more opportunities we have to build people and to connect with people. That's why we need to launch more and more small groups. I've not told ours for sure just yet, but I've kind of helped lead one in uh, Bill and Krista's home for a few semesters now, and I enjoy uh, hanging out with them and, and, and things like that. But uh, uh, I'm probably getting ready to tell them, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> and you can do that because I need, because they, they're, they're at the point they can do that. They've always been at the point they could do that. They could lead a small group. But I probably need to go out and start a small group at a different time. If I start a small group in our development, I've got enough people that come to this church that live in the development that Becky and I live in that we could have a small group and the only people I have to do is walk about a block to come. So that would be a completely new location to reach some people that maybe aren't in small groups. See, and the more we do that, the more small groups we launch at various locations. In various ways, the more people we can, can impact with the gospel. Did get some good news this week. Uh, someone called me, and I did not get to go to our last uh, in his service, IHS Motorcycle Ministry. Most of you know I ride a motorcycle. We started a motorcycle ministry. I was sick, didn't get to go to the last meeting they had. But I found out that they voted at the last meeting. Instead of meeting once a month, they want to meet once a week on Monday nights and function as a small group. That's without me asking them to do that. So that's a good thing, you know, that they, that they want to do that. But you see, we need more and more people doing that because it will give us more opportunities to build people and more opportunities to connect with people. We could launch new small groups. Some of you live in Catawba County. You know, some of you live in other areas where there may not be a small group anywhere close by, and you can have them in your home. And if you're willing to try and do that, if you'll see Daryl, he's not here today. You can't see him today. He's off in Florida turkey hunting. He sent me a picture of a big alligator crossing the road, and I sent him a message back and said, you get on it and ride it, then send me the picture. I'll be impressed. <laughs> but you can see him next week, or you can come and talk to me if you're willing to try and help lead a small group because, you see, that's an avenue to us building believers. That's an avenue to us connecting with others so we can fulfill our, our vision and our mission. Our vision is that, build believers. It's not our vision, it's God's vision. You saw that in the scriptures today. Our vision is connect, our mission is connecting with others. That's how we do this, is by connecting with others. It's not our mission, that's God's mission that he gives us that we need to connect with others. We've got a task to carry out. We need to work together. We need to build the body of Christ. We need to be joined together, following God's blueprint where we're building each other up. And as we build each other up, that will require labor and intensity and things like that on our part. We can connect with more people. God has building plans, but he also has relational plans. And we need to connect with other people, build this environment of building other people up, this environment of love to where it so influences an atmosphere within Day 3 Church that people outside the walls of this place want to come. They want to know the same Jesus that we know. Boil it down to this. It's not about our will. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. It's about God's will and what he wants. It's about God's purpose. His purpose is to build believers. His purpose involves being connected with others. And I'm going to tell you up front to where you won't be shocked by it when it happens. Real Christian community means inconvenience. 
It'll be inconvenient for you to find time to lead a small group or to join a small group if you're not going to one, but it'll be worthwhile. Real Christian community involves inconvenience because people are people, and sometimes they're not fun to deal with. Sometimes it's hard, and sometimes you have to get your hands a little bit dirty to try and deal in people's lives, but I'm going to tell you it's worthwhile because God's called you to do it. Not just me to do it, all of us to do it. We're all supposed to function in a community together. To be building believers up, to be connecting together. Real Christian maturity, real Christian maturity is not making it about us. It's making it about God's will and it's making it about others. That's Christian maturity. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we make it all about us. Forgive us when we get so internally focused that all we care about is our comfortable, or our comfort, our comfortability. All we care about is our desires. All, all we care about is maybe just hanging out with the friends we've already made. Father, you called us, and you tell us we need to build each other up. We need to build the body of Christ. You give us plans for doing so. God, you call us to connect together, to live in community together, to love each other, to pray for each other, to be generous to each other, to meet each other's needs. Father, I pray today you help us to make specific individual commitments that help us to be the body and help us to connect with others. Father, I pray if there's someone here that's never been in a small group, that right now you would burden their heart to find out what it takes to go and join a small group. And that you'd help them to find the ministry that they need there. Father, I pray for people that are already involved in small groups. I I pray that you burden their hearts and you encourage them to multiply. That others might be taught, that others might be reached for your kingdom. Father, help us to make it about you and your will and not who we are, not our own desires. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recognize in this series I'm I'm, I'm more or less preaching to the choir, preaching to the church. Because it has to be talking about vision and mission at the same time. The Jesus that I talked about earlier reminding us as believers that he died on the cross and we ought to let what he did for us remind us that we need to be willing to pay a price to suffer some in order that we can minister to other people. If you don't know him as your Savior, that same Jesus died on the cross for you. That same Jesus loves you. That same Jesus has done everything that could ever be done for you to have a relationship with him and have your sins forgiven and be part of his family and one day be with him for all eternity if you've never trusted in him why not do that today and for us who are believers maybe you're a small group leader that needs to make a commitment this morning to help launch a new small group maybe you're a believer that's not in a small group you need to make a commitment to join one maybe you're someone that's attending you need to make a commitment to launch out maybe next fall and help start a new small group we need to be doing all we can to build believers and to connect to each other just listen to the Holy Spirit of God be obedient to Him please stand
Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.